open up your Bibles this morning with me to the book of Hebrews. Somebody out there has just said in their mind, perhaps Pastor Fred doesn't know it's Mother's Day. How is he staying in Hebrews? Well, I admit that it sneaks up on me sometimes. But I was prepared for Mother's Day, so by the way, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers who are here. And those of you who have mothers still alive, go see them or call them today. Be blessed by the reality that you have a mother. And mothers, be blessed by the reality that you are a mother. Let's look at our Bibles. We now begin chapter 10 of Hebrews. Chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, if you'll follow along as I read. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never by these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purged would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, God, blessed be your name. What a confidence we have that your will is done and that your Son followed your perfect will. For we are here because of your will. So blessed be your name. And blessed be the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Teach us of him today, Lord God, our Father, and teach us of your Son today, he who is our great Redeemer and our High Priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Be with us as we learn and grow and guide us into this future with your blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage I read, there is a declaration. 
a body you have prepared for me. A body you have prepared for me, says Jesus the Christ to God the Father. Well, this is Mother's Day. This is Mother's Day. We might venture to say that the most significant mother of all time would have to be that Virgin Mary who was chosen to be the mother of Jesus Christ the Lord. Mother Mary. Not a Mother Mary to be worshipped as the Catholics have erroneously done, but a mother to be acknowledged as having had that privilege to be the mother of the Savior of the world. I want us to think about the motherhood of Mary and motherhood in general, but specifically Mary's. And even those of you women who have children and are sometimes struggling with where your children are going and what they will do and what will happen to them, Perhaps even your desire to protect them. Protect them even overly in this world. Let me introduce you to Mary. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. By way of introduction, let's look at this Mary. Let's look at motherhood. This mother of Jesus entered into motherhood in a whole different way than any other ever will. She is a virgin visited by an angel. The declaration made under her by that angel that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the, over, of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born shall be called the Son of God. Now after Mary's discourse, with the angel, we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 39. The joy of motherhood. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. The babe leapt for joy. Oh, the joy of Elizabeth upon meeting the mother of Jesus Christ who was carrying him in her womb. The intimacy in which she knew Jesus was different than every other purpose person in the world. Right, mothers? That's how it works. To know 
He is the one given to you by God and he is growing within you and the blessing extolled, but especially for her and even the babe inside Elizabeth who would be John the Baptist, he who would go before the Lord and make straight his ways and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, leapt for joy. And then the joy of the mother herself after hearing this declaration from Elizabeth says, now in verse 46, and Mary said, and this is what is known as the Magnificant, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded my lowly state, the lowly state of his maidservant. For before, behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And by the way, they do. The blessed joy of motherhood. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The mercy of the Lord, verse 50, and the mercy, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. What a praise, what a prayer, what a acknowledgement of what God has done in making her the mother of the Christ. But the mercy of God is involved in this motherhood, into this call into a ministry of motherhood to the Lord Jesus. We skip now ahead a number of verses to Luke chapter 1, verse 54. And we read, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance, listen, of his mercy. As he, God, spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever, she is marking the mercy of God that he is giving to Israel in raising up even within her womb a child to be born, a body, we read this morning, you have prepared for me. A joy and a mercy from God. Skipping ahead even farther to Luke chapter 1, verse 77. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, then holds forth and prophesies of his ministry, the ministry of John the Baptist, and also the ministry of the Christ child who he will minister before. And in verse 77, we pick it up. Zacharias says of this minister to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the, notice, tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. The joy of a child, but the mercy of God in giving this child, this helper of Israel, the tender mercies and the remembrance even of the promise to Abraham, that is her child, a joy, a body you have prepared for me, he said, in Mary. A mother offering her son to the Lord was part of the obedience to the law of Moses. Chapter 2 of Luke now. A firstborn child in obedience to the law. We pick up the reading, verse 21, Luke chapter 2. 
And when eight days were completed, for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem, listen, to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This is directly from the book of Exodus. Every male, both of animal and humans, was be, to be presented to the Lord. So firstborn male child was always presented to God in just the fashion that Joseph and Mary are presenting Jesus to the Lord. In the book of Exodus, it says they are holy to the Lord, and then God says this about the firstborn child, male child, it is mine. Okay, mothers, you have a firstborn male child. And you have to give him back to God. In sovereignty, he gave the child. And in obedience, you give him back to your sovereign Lord. Why did God establish this practice that for hundreds of years Israel would keep? From the time of the Passover, it stems from this. When the Pharaoh of Egypt attempted to curse Israel and to condemn every firstborn to death, God in Exodus established a remembrance. Since he was the deliverer of all of the firstborn, he then claimed them all from that time forward as his own. And in doing so was paving the way for Jesus to say, a body you have prepared for me. You came in the Holy Spirit upon my mother, and I was gestated in her womb. I came forth into the world in the body of flesh that you gave me. And then looking forward to that prophetic Son of God, the only begotten firstborn Son of Mary and of God the Father. Joy. But in the joy of motherhood, there was to be the mercy given to Israel. That means Israel that deserved the punishment of God would receive mercy. How would it receive mercy? By the offering of that child to God to be the means of the mercy unto Israel. For now the son is offered back to his father. And we read in Luke chapter 2 now, ahead to verse 47, and perhaps this will give us clarity. Twice he is presented, once for circumcision, Jesus comes, 
eight days. Then after the purification time of his mother, he's presented as the firstborn and given to the Lord. He is his. And then there's another time when the males must be presented to the Lord. It's the first time when they become men, when they are to make the journey for the feast days of Israel, the three mandatory feast days. And this one just happens to be the Passover. In Luke 3, verse 41, his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Now they went up there, they presented him. He is now, in a sense, uh, becoming into his manhood. And his parents, then thinking he is with the train which they came to, goes back home, but they find along the way that Jesus had not come along with them. He's not in the caravan. He's not amongst everyone. This is their good son. He never does anything wrong. He's always where he's supposed to be. But this one time, he's not where he's supposed to be. This one with the perfect track record is not here. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they seeking him after him desperately. And verse 46, so now it was after three days they found him where? In the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and at his answers. He's come into his adulthood. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this? Notice, as every good mother would say, why have you done this to us? You're the good one. You should be with us in the train. We were going home. And he's not along with the caravan and the others who had come up for the Passover. For the Passover is being observed and the true Paschal Lamb is there. And he has now an understanding of who he is. And he now presents that understanding back to his mom, a body, he says to his father. You have prepared for me. Look, Mary says, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Verse 49, and Jesus said to them, why is it that you sought for me? Why is it you sought me? Did you not know? Mother, did you not know? that I must be about my father's business. He came of age. He's presented to the Lord of age and keeping the law, the festival. And he says, I must do my father's business. How is it you don't know that I'm his? that he's my father. Luke 4, verse 16. Another landmark in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Now the adult, now into his ministry, his father's business, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as the, as the custom was, 
he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus read, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Close quote. He then closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The joy of motherhood for Mary is mixed with the mercy of of God the Father on Israel. The offering of this mother of her son back to the Lord according to the law acknowledges that Jesus was his, God the Father's alone. And through Jesus himself, I must be about my Father's business. Hence, to Hebrews we go, chapter 10, a body. A body you, Lord, have prepared for me, your son. I ask you, what did the new covenant will of God accomplish? Since God has a will and the new covenant is according to his will, what did the new covenant will of God accomplish? Well, today we're going to look at three accomplishments, three accomplishments of the new covenant. But it's not just the new covenant, the new covenant will of God. See, God has a will that goes hand in hand with his covenant promise. He didn't just say those words into the clear, into the open, but he empowered those words of the new covenant, and they're empowered by his very will. It brings about the circumstances, the events of time, the people involved in that space and time, and even his own son, Jesus, and yes, his mother will be involved in the new covenant accomplishments of God that are according to his will. The three accomplishments of the new covenant will of God, and we'll look at them in order that we may understand. First, the shadow. Second, the body. And third, the establishment of the new covenant. The shadow, the body, and the establishment of the new covenant. Let's look at our text again. We look at the accomplishments. Chapter 10, verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, by these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, 
Make those who approach perfect. This will of God, this new covenant will of God, accomplished something in the first place. His will, listen to me, replaced the shadow. Replaced the shadow with the very image. Replaced the shadow, which is the law, with the very image, which is Jesus himself. The law, you must understand, and we've been studying here in Hebrews, was a shadow of future reality. I know you're aware of this simple fact, for you've all lived in the world with sufficient time to realize that there is, in God's creation, something called the sun. Not S-O-N, the S-U-N, that's opposed by the moon. The sun shines by day, and gives its light. And when you walk in your body and the sun shines upon you, you cast what is known as what? A shadow. A shadow. We understand when we look at the shadow that that's not the real us, correct? I remember when I was a when I was in grade school, I can't remember what class it was, but a number of years ago after my mom had passed away and we were going through the things that she had saved from my ventures in grade school, shall we say, there was one art project that she had saved and it was the silhouette. At one point, our grade school teacher had sat each of us down and with a projector, without any film in it, just the light, projected our outline of our face onto a piece of paper and then traced it. And then we had the job of gluing it onto a piece of paper. And probably for Mother's Day, we brought that to our mom and said, Happy Mother's Day, Mom, Fred, as I scrawled it in those days, F, R, you know. Those block letters, which my hand hasn't improved very much since then, but there it is. And mom now has a shadow picture of her son. But I happen to know that that shadow didn't give very good hugs. You've never been hugged by a shadow of your child, mom. You've been you want to be hugged by the reality, the body, the flesh, and the blood. And so what our text is telling us, that the law was a shadow of the good things to come, and the shadow provided incomplete access to God. Incomplete access, just like my mom trying to hug my shadow. It's not going to work. It will not be satisfying the picture was incomplete at best. Just an outline of who the person really is. We can look at it this way, that what he's speaking about is a foreshadowing. So if you think of Jesus in this way, that as Jesus is walking down through the times which God has dictated, the sun, if you will, is lighting him from the back, and he is casting a shadow forward. And as he casts the shadow forward, we can say that is even the law of God that precedes Jesus. 
It isn't Jesus. It isn't the new covenant promise. It's a mosaic promise. It's the law promise. It is a foreshadowing of the reality, the very image, verse 1, of the things which are coming in the new covenant. And when the shadow arrives, no, it, it, it is to remind them that something better is coming, the reality. And with the law, there was an incompleteness of how to relate to their God, how, if you will, to present yourself before him, to be hugged by him, if you will. In the law, you couldn't get close enough to God until the present time. Chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 9, again, speaking of the law and the tabernacle, that even... As he's speaking, it's still standing. He says, was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifice are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. So even though they would go through these things, there was an imperfection to them. There was an incompleteness to them. It's like hugging a shadow. But we find that for this reason, verse 15, he is mediator of a new covenant by means of death of a body, of his body. There was a shadow, and it was the law. And even the temple itself and the tabernacle were mere shadows of that which would come. Chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 5 speaking of the priests who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. Jesus is the reality, and when he comes, there is no longer any need for the shadow. It was incomplete. It didn't handle sin. They had to be offered year by year. The psalmist David said after his terrible sin with Bathsheba, he said, my sin is ever before me. The shadow is done away with for reality because now the shadow could not completely even cover sin. Look at verse 2, chapter 10 of Hebrews. For then they would not have would they not have ceased to be offered? Now this is an object lesson in logic. If men were made complete by these offerings that the priests under the Mosaic law were doing, these sacrifices, then he asks, wouldn't they now be finished? Wouldn't it be over? He says, for then they would not they have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, he goes on to say, once purged or cleansed, would have no more consciousness of sins. But, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder year by year. So the shadow was simply a reminder that your sins were not completely covered. So by the way, let's pick up this because God used this. He used this metaphor. He used this analogy of the shadow. Now, if you want to cover something so that no one can see it at all, do you cover it with a shadow? So if you have your shadow walking along and, you know, there's a frog there on your path, if your shadow covers the frog, can you no longer see it? 
No, it's simply in the shade. It may be getting a little relief from the sunlight, but it's still visible. That's how you need to think of the law. It only accentuated that you weren't covered completely. You're exposed, but you're doing something about it according to God's purpose. It was never, it was never God's will that this would be a complete covering of sins. It says there was a reminder of sin every single year. So this, what we have here is a summary statement of the facts previously prevent, presented to us in Hebrews that the law never could cover sin. And now the shadow again in verses 4 through 6, the shadow could not clean the conscience. The shadow could not clean the conscience. Listen, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. Isn't that an amazing thing to read in God's Bible? That God is telling us that what he told Israel to do, and they did in their sacrificial system, according to God's own law, his own will, that then God comes out and tells them so clearly now, I had absolutely no pleasure in doing that. That to me is a shock. Because sometimes we say, well, what was going on then? Didn't God like what he was doing? No, God was foreshadowing the coming of his son, Jesus Christ, with a system that proclaimed a reality that was better than the outline of Jesus in the shadow. It will come to fullness of light. Let me just tell you this very simply. This is the little point I've written down for myself under this three, for your shadow cannot cleanse the conscience because it can't take away sin. Let me just say it this way. You can't get blood from a shadow. You can't get blood out of a shadow. You know many times you reach down on that sidewalk that's your shadow and cut it with a knife. It doesn't make you bleed. You know this, right? Somebody please tell me you're here this morning and say amen. That's an easy one. The shadow doesn't shed blood. And even the shadow of bulls and goats, the blood that they shed, God had no pleasure in them. You can say to your friends out there who think it was cruel that God offered animals, who, by the way, were indeed innocent, whom Israel offered year after year in a constant stream of death and blood, that God had no pleasure in it. The reason they're doing that is man's sin, not God's. It is God's redemptive plan being foreshadowed and the fullness of time, his people will be trained to see it. And so then you might ask, well, pastor, then what did the law do? What did it do? Well, let me give you three brief points. Three, three brief points. The law first pointed 
to salvation to come. Since we've studied this, I'm just going to be brief. The law pointed to salvation to come. In a sense, it is the outline of the story. The outlined reality, just like my picture that I gave to my mom on Mother's Day, was an outline of me, but it didn't really, really look like me, but it looked some like me. Hopefully my mom knew that was me, so it's a good thing I signed it, which is exactly what God did. He signed it. There is an expectation then created by the law for the coming of the reality. The body. Number two, what did the law do? It reminded people of the penalty of sin. That when you sin, to cover sin, death and blood is required. For without the shedding of blood, we just studied it, there is no what? Remission of sin. It reminded them every time that something's dying in your place because you're a sinner. And then thirdly, the shadow sacrifices, all the sacrifices, provided a covering of sin to a degree. God was not pleased with them, but that did not mean they didn't do anything. They were efficacious according to the law. So when these sacrifices that covered sin to this degree were properly offered, and what do I mean by that? I mean they were offered in faith. So if you're living in the time of the Mosaic law in Israel and you know you've committed a sin and you're bringing your sacrificial offering there, your heart has to be saying inside itself to God, I deserve to die and this animal is going to die in my place. And I am putting my faith in God who told me to do this, that my faith in what he told me to do is covering my sin so that I don't pay. So it provided an immediate, temporal removal of the judgment from God, so that he was not then cut off from his people. But it shows whether the heart is believing or non-believing. That's what the law did. I need to move on. The will of God in the new covenant, the new covenant will of God accomplished, secondly, his will prepared a body for sacrifice. That's why I've entitled this, this message, But a Body You Have Prepared for Me. God took no pleasure in these sacrifices, but a body he prepared for his son. His will prepared a body for sacrifice. He prepared that body for sacrifice in and through a mother. On Mother's Day. Think of it, ladies. Think of it, gentlemen. This is God's will. A body you have prepared for me. Jesus, once a shadow in the law, has now been established in reality. For he became flesh 
The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when that happened, the shadow is gone. The reality was standing in the midst of Israel. The fulfillment, a body you have prepared for me. Here is the body. My mom made it. You made it and prepared it. And here I stand. As our text says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of this book it is written of me. To do your will, O God. The eternal will of God is now a reality. It is exposed. It is Jesus. It is interesting that Jesus, a writer of Hebrews, is quoting these things from Jesus' mouth. But they come originally, some of these words, from Psalm 40. David wrote these words under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he said, sacrifice and offerings in 40 verse 6 of Psalms, you did not desire. It goes on to say, my ears you have opened. David says, my ears you have opened, I now hear, and he's hearing from God, and here is what he said he hears, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. We're doing them, you told us to do them, but it doesn't fulfill the requirement. Now I understand, David says. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of this book, it is written of me, verse 7, Psalm 40. And verse 8, now, I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is within my heart, says King David prophetically in advance of the coming Christ. The body. Brothers and sisters, it was God's will to save through the body of Jesus. Because the addition to Psalm 40 that David did not pen, but Jesus declared when he had come, we find in Hebrews, he says, but a body you have prepared for me. The purpose of the incarnation was sacrifice. The reason why Jesus was given a body by God, that Mary carried it to full gestation and birth, the firstborn son, always to be her firstborn son. The reason she gave him to God is so that God could use him as, according to his will, the perfect sacrifice. One mother's child. Was there ever a higher purpose? Mothers, I ask you, you protect your children. Can I have an amen? Amen. But do you know God's will for them? Tell me. No. 
You are commanded, fathers, to raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And mothers, you are to support the father in doing this. But you do not know what God has in store for them. You cannot protect them from the will of God. You accept the will of God, the blessing of motherhood, the training up of children, and then you must put them in the path of God. You must turn them to the hands of the sovereign and you tell them, follow him. Though it may mean you lose them, can I have an amen? You don't want to amen, but I've said you better because I asked for one. Mary, you're going to be blessed with the joy of this child. The mercy of God will come through him. That means he's God's and you've offered it to him and he will be the sacrifice. Mary, was it worth it? Don't you want to ask her that? Would you do it all again, Mary, knowing of the crucifixion to come? A body you've prepared for me for crucifixion. I think she would answer yes. Without a doubt, I'd do it all again. Because she would tell you, she would say, I needed my son to be my savior and his sacrifice pleased God. And without the sacrifice of my son Jesus, there would be no salvation for the world. What is it that John said in 1 John 4, 14? He said, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and God is, and he is in God. And we have known and believed the love of God, that the love of God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And we believe in his sacrifice of his own son and the son who came and said, I have come to do your will, O God. God's sovereign new covenant will and the son saying, I've come to do it. The main goal of Christ's bodily work on earth was singular, brothers and sisters, and it's the same as yours. Obedience to the will of God. Satan tried to tempt Jesus away from the will of God. Here, make this stone into bread. Here, cast yourself down. He will protect you, not let your foot stumble on a rock. Here, I will give you the world from my own hand, said Satan. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I follow the will of God, the word of God. And Satan tried to use Peter when Jesus said, the son of man must be crucified. He must suffer. He must die. And on the third day rise again. And it was Peter who spoke with the mouth of Satan and said, A rebuke. May it never be. How many mothers would say if they knew that their child was going to save many and die in the act, I won't have that child. 
But Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, He's going to be the mercy. And I offer him back to you, Lord. Thy will be done. And the son says, Thy will be done. So Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Though it was a difficult task, he prayed thrice, this cup could pass from me. Please let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I have come to do your will, O God, with this body you have provided for me. And how are we doing with our bodies? An example. Jesus Life was not taken from him. He was sovereignly offered by God. He was willingly presented by himself as he testified to Pilate. Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to save you or to kill you? And Jesus said to Pilate, are you speaking to me? I love that. A body, my God, has prepared for me. I have come to do his will. Are you speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you, Pilate says? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. He didn't say you didn't have any. He said it's greater. In John chapter 10, we find these words, verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father, the will of God, a body you have given and prepared for me. Thirdly, his will established his will established the second covenant. Let's look at our text again, chapter 10, verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Listen now. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. The first is the Mosaic law. The second is the new covenant that we've already seen addressed in full form in the book of Hebrews. You see, the old covenant was never meant to be totally effective or permanent. It was meant to be replaced by the second, the new covenant. The progress of revelation is what we're studying. There's been an establishment of a new covenant system that takes away the first and a second's established. Progress of revelation, that's a hermeneutical principle. We have to understand it. The Bible gives information gradually about salvation, about God's plan and purpose, about God's will. It began in the Garden of Eden, immediately after the fall of man to the curse to the serpent, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Mother's Day, a child. And you 
will bruise his heel, Satan, but he will crush your head in a small form without all the details, a hint of hope, a shadow, and an image is coming. To Moses, he says to him, and near the end of his ministry, Moses, I will raise up a prophet like unto you from the midst of your brethren, from your own people, from your own flesh. Him they shall hear. A body you have prepared for me. The progressive revelation now comes fuller form. Not only a seed of a woman, but a prophet like him. And one who will be heard. Later in history, in the progress of revelation, King David, in the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel, God tells David, I will set up, listen, your seed after you. Seed of a woman. From a mother, from Solomon, from his line, who will come, he says, from your body, he told David. And Jesus says, a body you have prepared for me. To marry a virgin betrothed to a man of the house of David, betrothed to a man of the house of of David in Luke uh, the 23rd chapter. How amazing. Oh, excuse me, Luke the first chapter, verse 27. It says that Mary a virgin was betrothed to a man of the house of David. The pleading call of what we are studying is the call to salvation through the body of Christ. Through the body of Christ. When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross and he said these words, it is finished. Mary lost her son. Her son died. But the death of her son instituted the new covenant promise that brings life eternal. Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 26. Christ being led to crucifixion. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him. Listen. And women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts which never nursed. 
Then they will begin to say, quote, to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For they do these things in the green wood. What will they do in the dry? Those words sound familiar. Let me take you to the resurrected body of Jesus. Revelation, the sixth chapter. The opening of the sixth seal of the judgment wrath of God. Verse 12. Revelation 6. John says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was an earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Now listen. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders of the mighty men, every slave, every free man, listen, hid themselves in caves in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him. A body you have prepared for me. I come to do thy will. Fall on us, hide us from the faith of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. The mother whose son died saw him rise again. The mother who saw her son ascend into heaven waited like we wait for his return from thence. And as sure as the shadow came and told us of his first coming, the shadow is here written in our text of Hebrews, in our text of Revelation. And it reminds us he comes a second time. Judgment from the throne for the great day of his wrath has come. Behold the Lamb, the Son of Mary, the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world and punishes the unrighteous with his wrath. A body God prepared for him through his mom. May we raise children to do the will of God. Let's pray. Thank you, O oh God, our Father. We have but one thing to say. In regard to our lives, in regard to our future, with regard to our children, we say with Jesus, 
thy will be done. We are saved to do thy will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.